But for ourselves, we're going to be here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 23 and 24. Uh, next week, we'll finish up our time in 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to jump right into 2 Thessalonians. First time we've ever done that, gone right from one book to the next one. Uh, but uh, today, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, which is on page 988 of that chair Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you'll want to look at this. So everything must be tested, as we learned last week, against God's Word. Uh, and so you'll want to do that. But as we begin, let me ask you guys three questions. Three questions. And these questions, friends, I would argue, are some of the most important questions that you could ask yourself. In fact, I would even go so far as to say is your answers to these questions are some of the most important things about you. Because your answers will explain who you are becoming. Here's the three questions. First, what is your destiny? Which is to say, where are you going? What's your destiny? Second, what is it you want when you get there? When you get to that destiny? What is it you want when you get there? And thirdly, what is the ground of your trust to get you where you're going? What's the ground of your trust to get you where you're going? Well, friends, as you think about those questions, the Word of God will supply us what should be our answers to those questions. And I say should be because they are from the God of peace who means to give us a peace that only He can supply. A complete peace through and through. And my guess is whatever your answers were to those three questions, they had something to do with peace. And so hear God's Word and be oriented, friends, to a Truth so massive, so amazing, so ridiculously gracious, and importantly, confident and hopeful that if you have ears to hear it this morning, you will not walk out of here this morning, you will fly out of here. First Thessalonians five twenty three and 24, Paul here is finishing up his short letter to this new church that is embattled from within and embattled from without. He's just finished commanding them. Uh, In this portion of the passage, he's just finished commanding them to do 17 things. Some of you have been waiting for a month and a half to get to this verse. He's just finished saying 17 commands. Respect those who labor among you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Don't repay evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now at this point, you should be feeling something. Right? You should be going, that's a little heavy. Right? We might even imagine every command here is sort of like a book placed into your hands. And every single one of these books is not even placed in your hands. Every one of those books you know and understand, you need to read them and live them out. One book after another book after another book till you have 17. What you need in that moment is relief. What you need is some sort of even confidence to sort of live it out. 
We need relief. We need confidence because we cannot do this, these 17 commands in our own strength. Because while these words, these commands are true and they are good and we're weighted down by them, though, we're weighted down by their responsibility. We need some confidence. We need some hope for that destiny of where we're going. And so listen to Paul's prayer in order to get that relief, to get that hope, to get that confidence. Here it comes. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I had portions this week where I was going, I can't believe I get paid to study this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Uh, Soon after this, the Apostle John writes of us, writes to us, writes to the church to help us understand what it's going to be like at this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us what it's going to be like when Christ returns, this coming that Paul is referencing. And here's what he says. Here's what John says of that coming of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in his righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This, friends, is your destiny. Every one of you, Christian, non-Christian, this is where we're headed, to that moment. This is where we are all going as we sojourn, as it were, through this wilderness of the earth. Soon enough, we will come to the Jordan River, as it were, and the King of glory will meet us. And friends, we will be judged in light of our obedience to those, say, 17 commands. And so what do we want on that day? And what is it we want from every day until this day, on this day, from every day from now till that day? What is it we want? What is it we need? In light of those 17 commands that we will have to give answers to. Well, friends, as we think about our journey from this day until that day of days, as we think about those questions that we asked at the beginning, there are four things that we must regularly rehearse to ourselves in order to be prepared for that day that will answer those questions in part. Four things, our need, our concern, our trust, and our sign. Here's the first, our need, our need. This question or this point here answers that second question, which is, if you remember, what is, our, what is it we want for our destiny? Well, in light of the fact that we live before the face of God and we will one day stand before God, we have one need, holiness. 
holiness. In a statement that may seem like Jesus doesn't get us, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you must, you must, circle that word, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Mr. Friends, God is holy. In Him there is no darkness. There is no deficiency in Him such that would tempt Him towards evil. All that He does, all that He does is right, is just, is good, is true. All that He does is pure because He is pure. He is holy. And friends, this stands in complete contrast to our basic nature as human beings created in His image. We, body, soul, and spirit, are by nature darkness. As we will consider in just a moment, we are riddled with deficiencies. We are by nature, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 3, children of wrath. Therefore, God, who is always good, holy, right, just, and true, who is pure, He cannot permit our darkness into His unapproachable light without compromising on all that is good and holy in Himself. Therefore, friends, if God is just, and He is, He must punish sin. He can't just sweep it under the rug. If He doesn't punish sin, then He isn't good. And most especially, He is not holy. Therefore, our need, as we think about that day when Christ returns, and every day from that day till this day, or this day till that day, our need to live before God, to stand before the face of God, is holiness. Friends, we might think that we need a better wardrobe. We might think that we need a new house or a new car. We might need a spouse or we might need children. We might need a better job or more money. We might need the ability to travel more. Friends, the reality is we don't need any of those things. I can tell you that growing up in my house, uh, there was a word that was not allowed to be used. And when it was, it was called out. And that word was fair. My dad would not let us use the word fair. The second I would say, that's not fair, my dad would say to me, life's not fair. Get used to it. But in our house, it's the word need. So anytime I or somebody else in our home says, well, I need this, 99% of the time, the answer is, no, you don't. You don't need that. Maybe you need a cup of water and some bread and some shelter Right? But you don't need that thing. What we need, need, friends, is holiness. Purity in the eyes of God. And that's what Paul prays for when he prays for sanctification right here in this passage. In verse 23. Sanctification is another word for holiness. And not only does Paul pray for this holiness, pray for this sanctification. Notice that he prays for complete sanctification, complete sanctification, body, soul, and spirit. By this, he means all of us, all of the way. So our spiritual relationship with God needs to be made holy, not in part, not sort of basically holy, but holy, holy. Our soul's affections needs to be made holy. Our desires, our decision-making needs to be made holy. The way that we view ourselves, the way that we view our fellow neighbors, the way that we view our, na- our, our enemies, The way that we view God himself in our doctrinal commitments, those need to be made holy. And then our bodies need to be made holy. This is an underrepresented fact that in these days is becoming much more apparent in Christian circles. 
Our bodies need to be made holy. God made our bodies and where we have misused our bodies through sexual or gender immorality, through gluttony, through drugs and alcohol, through laziness, through screen addiction, or where a broken world has thrust itself in sinfulness upon our bodies uh, in some way, shape or form, be it cancer or diabetes or blindness or deafness or dementia or in deterioration. I'm thinking about this. I turned 49 this year. My eyes need to be completely sanctified and my back needs to be completely sanctified. All of these things need to be made holy, perfect, pure. Not partially, but completely. If we are going to stand with joy and peace before God Almighty. But that should then lead us to a concern. Which leads us to the next thing. We've considered our need, now our Concern. Our destiny is meeting Christ, the Lord of glory. What we ought to want is what we need, which is our holiness. Now, third, our concern as we've considered those things. See, as we consider our need for holiness now and then at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should be concerned about our weakness. Our weakness. Slide back up to First uh, Thessalonians 4. Two and three. Remember, if we are reading this letter straight through, as Paul commands, we'll think about that next week. Paul commands this letter to be written, to be read to the church. If we were reading this letter just straight through, this verse I'm about to read to you would have been like 30 seconds ago. For us, it was last October. But there he says in First Thessalonians four, two and three. Uh, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. And then he goes on to list. You'll notice if you look back up in there, he goes on to list a bunch of more calls to obedience there. And then he moves into, once again, the return of Christ, which then has him to move into those 17 commands. Friends, Jesus demands perfection and God wills sanctified obedience because he loves us. But as we consider living before the face of this God in light of those commands, at this point, you and I should be saying something. It goes back to the beginning of that introduction. We're thinking about those 17 commands and all of those books. We should all be saying, I can't do that. I can't do that consistently. Maybe I can will myself to do it for a couple days. I can't do that. I mean, imagine like the Lord sort of dropping those 17 books upon us. And he says to us, don't drop any of them, read them all, understand them, and live them all. You and I would be going, but I can't. Our need is holiness. Our concern is with our weakness to accomplish holiness. And friends, I hasten to add here a bit of a shift here. A little bit of a, an adjustment in the sermon just to sort of bring some clarity. Paul here is not praying for justification. Notice that he's praying for sanctification. Remember, he's writing to the church. Go all the way back to the beginning of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1. They are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They have already been declared justified. He's writing to Christians. Here he's praying for sanctification in light of that justification. Sanctification is the progressive holiness whereby we grow up into our declared righteousness. And it's important that we understand the distinction because many do not understand that distinction. 
Some think that uh, they are right because they uh, have claimed their justification. They've been declared righteous by faith. They have no need for sanctification. Maybe that's you. You see these commands as sort of mere suggestions. You know, you think God loves us. He, you know, he wants some good for us, but in the end, we're fine. Some might think the situation is likened to the son of a wealthy man who drops off his son at a soup kitchen. You know, he wants us to learn the lesson of kind of serving others, but we all know he's going to come pick us up and take us back to the mansion. He's not really that concerned about how we do at the soup kitchen. And of course, there's a sliver of truth in that, right? Our justification is in no way dependent upon our obedience, only Christ's obedience. However, friends, God does not justify us in order to leave us as we were. We come to Christ and are justified by grace through faith as we are. We sing that song, just as I am. However, God never saves us in order to leave us as we are. Any more than a parent has a child and intends to just leave them as they are. Right? No, the parent intends to feed, to instruct, to nurture, to discipline the child as they grow up so that when they get old, they will be a, a man or a woman of integrity, of strength. And so it is with God. He adopts us by grace through faith, but he intends to sanctify us, to make us become more like him. Grow us up into the image and likeness of Christ. Let me throw a verse on this just so you can see it. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, foreknew means there, foreloved, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's will for us. Remember, we consider God's will is your sanctification, being more like Christ. This explains a host of people that maybe take the name of Christ and appeal to their so-called faith, but they have no works or no interest in growing up in their so-called faith. James calls that kind of a faith dead. Paul talks about these people in the book of Titus that profess to know God but deny Him by their works. And maybe this is what is behind what Paul has just said in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. Look back at that. Where he said people are saying, there's peace, there's security. That's in reference to the judgment there. There's peace, there's security. Everything's fine. We don't need to worry about this. They are thinking, you know, maybe they're thinking, you know, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 10. I'm good. Or, you know, I call myself a Christian, not a Muslim or an atheist. Christ has died for me, as it were, they think. But there's no sanctification or interest in sanctification. No interest in being conformed to the image of Christ. There's no true recognition of our need and our weakness. Instead, there's significant presumption upon the love of God. With no regard or interest for His holiness and their need to grow up into that holiness. And friend, if this is you, I beg of you to look into the face of God this morning and see the true gospel. That calls us by grace through faith, but then empowers us to grow up into the holiness of God by the power of His Spirit. As God says, that's His will for you. If you're wondering what God's will for your life, that's it. You're growing up to look more like Jesus. 
Friends, we should all be like those apostles standing in the boat after Jesus has calmed the winds, wherein they looked at him with fear and said, who is this that calms even the winds? We should recognize, in other words, that distance between the holiness of God and where we are, which then leads to the next thing, our trust. This is getting at that question I asked at the beginning. Uh, what is it we need to, uh, what is it we need to get? Where is it we are grounding our trust to get to where we need to go? Our trust. This is the heart of Paul's prayer and his counsel to us in the word. Paul knows that God is holy and even after justification, he knows that we are still in need of sanctification. Therefore, after calling us to live out these commands, he turns, Paul turns to where his trust lies for the church. And friends, the ground of our trust is most certainly not ourselves, but God. God is our trust. Note the emphasis in the text there. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That's our trust. He doesn't send some sort of representative God. He's not sort of sitting there, you know, feasting upon his food. And he knows that his sort of child, as it were, needs to kind of grow up. And he sends some servant out to go to do his bidding. No. What we see from the text is that God himself goes to sanctify. God is our first and final trust to be sanctified and kept blameless to the end. Oh, friends, the unparalleled joy of this prayer. Note by the way, just, it's instructive in and of itself that when we feel our need and our distance between what we are called to do and what we can't do, notice the instinct is to prayer. The instinct is to God because that's our trust. And so for those of you who have placed your full and final trust on the Lord Jesus to not only sanctify you, but just justify you and sanctify you and to keep you, Christian, rest in these words. He himself will do it completely. He'll keep you blameless. He'll sanctify you completely. He will surely do it. You and I can't and we won't, not consistently, but he can and he will. Why? Because of who he is. Note how Paul not only emphasizes the person of God to sanctify you completely, but notice how Paul then leans on the character of God to build our assurance. He lists two things there. Did you catch them? Two aspects of God's character. God's peace and God's faithfulness. The God of the Bible first is a God of peace. Meaning he not just has peace, but he's the source of peace. And peace is the harmony of all things. That wonderful word shalom, that Hebrew word shalom. All at rest, all at peace. The contented joy of no malice, no evil, no fear, no disturbance, and no potential threats of losing anything of eternal value. That's peace. The God of peace will sanctify you completely. And how will he do that? Well, as we considered last week, by the work of the Son as that work is applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ himself, God in the flesh, Christ himself has made peace for us that believe. He did it at the cross, Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have, we have peace with God. How? Not through us, through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus' righteousness was credited to us by our faith in Him at the cross and our sinfulness and the punishment for that was transferred to Him at the cross. That great exchange. And in this great exchange, we have peace with God through that justification. The Spirit then takes the power of that gospel and not only seals, not only justifies, not only adopts, but then He progressively sanctifies us in His power. Himself, the Holy Spirit Himself, so sanctifies us by His power. Which is why Paul says, just he just said it, which is why he says, don't quench the Spirit. And you ask, well, how does the Spirit so sanctify us completely? Well, that's the next thing Paul said. Don't despise prophecies. Don't despise the prophetic word. The Spirit himself uses the word to sanctify us. We can think here of Jesus' prayer, John 17, 17, where he prayed, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so, friends, we place our full and final and happy-hearted trust in God the Son at His cross and in His resurrection. There we have peace with God in that past grace. And in the present and future grace of the gospel, we trust in God the Spirit to use the Word to completely sanctify us Himself. As we don't quench the Spirit, but instead give ourselves to the prophetic Word and all of its truths and commands, the more that we give ourselves to the Word, Empowered by a spirit, putting ourselves in that place, the more we give ourselves to the spirit, giving ourselves to the word, the more that we are sanctified, the more that we are sanctified, like the potter, right? We are the clay. The more that the clay gives itself to the potter, so we are shaped into his image. The more sanctified we become, guess what we get? The more peace with God we experience. The more peace with God we experience with him and with one another. The more that we give ourselves to him and his word. God is our full and final trust to be completely sanctified as we work from the power of the Spirit, not from the power of our own religiosity. I cannot emphasize this enough, guys. This is a unique difference between the Christian faith and every other worldview on planet Earth. Religion, be it institutionalized or informal, trusts in self. Every institutionalized or sort of informal religion, it trusts in you to obey enough so that you can get peace. Pray enough, give enough, right? The Roman Catholic Church teaches you to like give, take the Lord's Supper enough, confess enough. In other words, perform enough. And the more you do, the more that you do, the more peace you'll have. The emphasis is on you. You live it out. You do it well enough, you'll get peace. It's on you. The trust is you. This makes me think of a Muslim friend that I had years ago that uh, was sort of circling around in our life together as a church. He was a friend of our church, and I was on the metro bus making my way up from DuPont Circle up here when we stopped right, the metro bus stopped right in front of the mosque, that Muslim mosque right here on Mass Ave. And I saw my friend come out of there. He was... Uh, standing, came up into the bus and came and sat next to me and we began to talk. And I asked him, what did you just do there? And he said, well, I prayed. And I said, well, why is it you prayed? And then he rehearsed for me, of course, the, the five pillars of Islam. Right? Profession of faith, prayer, alms for the poor, fasting, and the pilgrimage. Five things you need to do. And I'll never forget what he said next. 
He told me that's why he was doing it. And I asked him what this provides. If he prays enough, what does this provide? He says, well, if I, if I give myself to those five pillars, then maybe God will be merciful to me. And I said, you don't have any assurance. He said, no. That's exhausting. That's a God that's just telling you like a guinea pig to run on the wheel. And friends, as exhausting as that is, informal secular religion is no different. Secular religion is just as demanding and equally as disturbing, providing little to no peace because it tells you as well to perform by its dictates. Secular religion has a, has a new sort of set of commands by the decade. The set of demands that you love this and hate that changes with the rise and fall of ideas. And the ground of your trust to experience peace is completely on you to do whatever secular religion tells you to do. Wear this pen. Fly that flag, not that flag. Love this. Hate that. Vote for this person, not that person. Go to this rally. Share your support on social media. Give money to that organization. Show up at that rally again. Friend, how is that any different than Islam's five pillars? And it's also just as exhausting. Again, primarily because it keeps coming up with new things for you to do. And it's always changing. Or on the other hand, it might be something like this. You know, post, post these kinds of pictures on Instagram and get this many likes. Then you'll have peace. Get this degree from this institution. Buy a house. Travel to these places. Get married. Have kids. And make sure those kids have this education or perform well enough on the athletic fields in comparison to the others around you. Exhausting. Exhausting. Meanwhile, the God of the gospel calls us into something deeper, something better, something that exposes the lies of the world and the machinations of the evil one and reveals the truth about God and ourselves, listen, with hope. He's honest with us about his holiness. He's honest with us, telling us not that we're just sort of broken, needing to kind of tap into our inner potential. Then maybe if we do well enough, then we'll sort of have that peace. No, he tells us not only that he is holy, but he tells us that we are dead and rebellious in need of an awakening. And look at the word there in verse 24. And God calls us. He calls us. Just as Jesus called to Lazarus, so he did to us that believe. So he did when we were saved and he declared us righteous. So he does to us today, so as he will to us in the days ahead. He calls us and keeps us and so sanctifies us completely because he's the God of peace. So he himself is our full trust. He knows, as Psalm says, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are as the dust. And he calls us. Just as he did at the beginning when he breathed life into Adam. So he does with us. God calls us. He will sanctify us completely. Yes, he sometimes sanctifies us ever so gently. Sometimes, although painfully. He sanctifies us by placing us in the fires. 
But friends, he does that because he loves us. Just as he led Jesus in the glory of that Christmas night with the glory of the angels singing, so he also led him into the gore of Golgotha. But never did God stop loving his son. So he leads us, sanctifying us, making us to lie down in green pastures, leading us beside still waters, leading us in paths of righteousness. He takes us through the valleys of the shadow of death, but we do not fear. Why? Because the ground of our trust in the quiet days and in the dark days is never ourselves, but it's always in him. It is not our rod and our staff that we trust and to comfort us through the valleys. But it is His rod and His staff that comfort us through the valleys. It is not our hard work that prepares the daily bread. But it is He that prepares a daily, daily table before you in the presence of our enemies. It is not your efforts that earns the anointing oil. It is His anointing oil and His pouring it over us. Because he, the God of peace, so applies sanctifying graces. And as a result, our cup overflows because of him. Not because of us. But then you might say, well, Nathan, how can I be sure that he'll do this? How can I be sure that the God of peace will so sanctify us as I trust him completely, not myself? How can I be sure? That the God of peace himself will sanctify us completely and give us peace both now and every day till the day I meet Jesus. How can I be sure? Well, that's the second thing Paul points to. That he's faithful. He's faithful. We aren't faithful. Nathan Knight is not faithful. The gods of this world, they are not faithful. But the God of the gospel is faithful. Friends, he's made Hundreds and hundreds of promises to us. And he's kept every single one of them. And not only has he kept every single one of them, he kept every single one of them by giving us his only son. And the son kept every single command that we have broken. And he kept them on our behalf. Jesus was willingly nailed to the tree like our sin. He bled, he died, he shed his blood so as to accomplish every single promise. He's faithful. He's faithful. And therefore, beloved, as he was faithful 2,000 years ago, and as he has been faithful to us up until this point today, we can trust him to be faithful to us tomorrow and the next day and the next day until we meet Christ. We can trust that he will faithfully sanctify us and keep us blameless until the day Christ returns and we see him face to face. God is faithful. So we can say, he will surely I'd love this little exercise if we can do this. I'm going to say something to you and you respond. He will surely do it. You ready? What if I say to you, will he sanctify my fears? He will surely do it. Will he sanctify ongoing temptations? Will he sanctify his church? Will he sanctify my insecurities? Will he sanctify my aging body? He will surely do it. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful. He has never failed us, beloved. Even though we have failed him a thousand times over. Great is his faithfulness. Isn't that what we sang? Morning by morning new mercies we see. 
And I love that song. I, I didn't write this down in my notes. Hopefully I can remember it. It just struck me. Saints have gone before us saintly. Y'all remember that line? That struck me this morning. Some of you are going, I never really understood what that meant. Well, he, saints have gone before us saintly. Saints have gone before us holy. He got them home. All that we have needed, he's provided. Therefore, we trust him for peace with God and peace with one another. We trust him for complete sanctification. We trust him to hold on to us and count us blameless on that day of days. Friends, our our need is holiness. Our concern is our weakness. Our full and final trust then to stand before God between from this day till that day, our trust is God himself, not ourselves. That's why our faith is grace-based, not works-based. It's works on Christ, but not on ourselves. Nothing then can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul writes that, right? We are not just conquerors, but we are more than conquerors, not through ourselves, but through him who loved us and gave us peace. Therefore, we can be sure with Paul in Romans 8, neither death nor life nor angels nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's our peace and he himself is our full and final and happy trust to sanctify us body and soul completely. Do we have to do things? Do we have to live this out? Yes, of course you do. But I thought you said it was him that does this. It is. How does that work, pastor? I don't know. I just know it's true. He will surely do what he promised to get us home to heaven. Blameless because he's faithful. As we, the clay, give ourselves to the potter's hands, giving ourselves to the word, he, empowered by the spirit, will so sanctify us completely, body, soul, and spirit. Which leads me to the last point. The application. What I'm calling our sign. We've considered our need. We've considered our uh, our concern. We've considered our trust. And now our sign. And by sign I mean reminder. So right, my wedding ring is a reminder. It's a sign. My wedding ring is a sign. Right, your passport is a kind of sign of your citizenship. So what is our sign, gospel people, what is our sign that God will be faithful and peacefully sanctify us completely all the way to the end? Well, there's a number of them, most especially ones right in front of you. But here's another one that maybe you didn't think of. This sign that's meant to remind you that he will be faithful and give you peace and sanctify you completely all the way to the day of days. I'm going to go way on back. It'll it'll be on the screen behind me, but you can write this down to consider more later. Here's our sign. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 and 13. After delivering the Israelites from Egypt and giving Moses the law, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Why? Of all things, of all the things, of all the laws, God's saying, above all, this one. For this is a sign, here it comes, between me and your generations. Why? Why Sabbaths? That you may know that I, the Lord, 
will sanctify you. This is a stunning reality. God enshrines the seventh day of the week as a day set apart from the other six. And on that day, what are they supposed to do? Stop working and worship the God that sanctifies. It is that day, that seventh day, as it were, that is so important to the Lord that he says, of all the laws, don't forget this one. I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel, just finished it up this past week. And I just circled, it came up so often. The Lord was just rebuking them left, right, and center for all the commands that they broke. And the Lord would always kind of come back and say, and the Sabbath, and you didn't keep the Sabbath. God's saying, above all, keep the law that tells you to stop working. You ever thought about that? Why? Because he wants to remind them, he wants to remind us that he's the one that saves and he's the one that sanctifies. Jesus was raised, of course, on the first day of the week. That's why Christians now have shifted that sort of Sabbath day, the Lord's day, to the first day of the week, Sundays. And so we begin our week. Guys, don't lose sight of this. I understand a lot of you, like myself, been coming to church for a long time and you just sort of lose sight of this. We begin our week. First of all, you may have forgotten that. This is the first day of the week. We begin our week by not working and worshiping. Gathering together to do nothing (laughs) but receive the gospel. That's our God. That's our sign so that we might be reminded that God is the God of salvation and of sanctification, not us. Above all, God says, keep the Sabbath so that you might be reminded again and again that God has and will completely sanctify you and you will be able to stand before God. You're stopping work and coming to this gathering to hear the gospel and be reminded of it in the Lord's Supper is the sign that means to remind you, Christian, that God called you and he calls you and he will completely sanctify you and he will get you home. That's what this whole gathering is meant to do. He will do it. He will get you home to heaven. The blood of his son is the seal of his guarantee that he'll do it, which is why we have this meal. The blood of his son is the seal of this sign of guarantee. And so brothers and sisters, prioritize the worship of God on the Sabbath with your covenanted brothers and sisters so that you and I wouldn't forget that we have assurance, that we have confidence, that nothing is going to be wasted, that God's going to get us home and not just get us home limping, but get us home complete. And soon enough, beloved, the day of days will come. And there on the day of Christ's return, we will experience what is promised by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. That God has not destined us for wrath, but obtained salvation. And so until that day, as we sojourn here on towards the promised land in this wilderness of the earth. Beloved, I remind you, he's going to provide you manna every day. Our shoes are not going to wear out. Our enemies are not going to triumph and we will get home complete because he's going to do it working in us by the power of his spirit through his word. And so above all, until we get to the Jordan, stop working. (laughs) Gather each Lord's day 
to be reminded he will do it. He will do it. He's the God of peace. He's the God of faithfulness. He has sent his son to cleanse you of all of your sins. And he will use the power of that gospel to so sanctify you and me completely. By grace through faith is the power of the spirit works it out in us. And so until then, again, stop working. Gather together at the table that he has prepared. You didn't prepare this meal. He did. All you have to do is come and eat it. Let that be a symbol. Let that be a sign of what God has promised to do.